Welcome. I'm Kevin Smith with Arite Incident Response. I'm excited to share actual incident response cases, chat about IT security, and introduce you to the most influential players in the industry. With that, let's get moving. And thanks for joining this episode of Security Superpowers. Welcome to another episode of Security Superpowers. I'm Kevin Smith from Arite Incident Response. Today's topic uh, is going to cover the cybersecurity landscape and what clients and carriers are doing to deal with the rising costs of ransomware and the rising number of cases. And here with me to discuss this is uh, Tamara Ashton. Uh, she's the Director of Cyber and Technical Claims for the Cyber and Professional Lines Group for Tokyo Marine. She got her undergrad from UCLA and her Juris Doctor from Whittier Law School. Uh, she holds state bars for California, New York, and the District of Columbia. Also joining us today is Michael Carr. He's an associate attorney at the New York office of Wilson Elser, where he advises clients on data privacy and cybersecurity. He has a Juris Doctor from Cordozo Law and is a certified information privacy professional. He specializes in incident response and post-breach services, as well as pre-breach counseling. Welcome to the both of you. Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks for looping me into the discussion. Uh, it's a brisk but lovely New York City day. I'm ready to uh, kick up my feet and, and chat a bit with the both of you. Good. Well, we look forward to this. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right in and um, and we're gonna start off with um, insurance carriers are in a very challenging spot with respect to cyber liability coverage. Um, many of the policies are priced uh, from a time where cyber risk was relatively low. Attacks were far less sophisticated and certainly preventable with the available tools on the market at the time. Now, as with a lot of technology, this has uh, evolved. And uh, within the last several years, these conditions have changed. So, Tamara, how are carriers like Tokyo Marine dealing with this and still remaining competitive in the market? So, Kevin, you're right. It's becoming increasingly difficult. Um, however, what we're doing at TMATC is we are pivoting to make changes um, in our underwriting process in order to deal with these changing conditions. So as we're learning more about these um, very large and complex claims, we're trying to look and see how um, the intrusion, intrusions are happening and what we can change from an underwriting perspective. So that's where claims works very closely with underwriting. And we are encouraging such things as um, pre-breach risk management and post-breach risk management, which we feel could help both insureds and the carriers. Let me ask this. What are you finding um, in terms of these breaches? Uh, is there one method of intrusion that stands out above others? Yes. The most common ones we're seeing are basically human error where an employee is tricked into, um, they get fished into sharing credentials um, or they have some sort of email intrusion because the insured doesn't have two-factor authentication. But when we're looking at all these claims, we track the method of intrusion, and these two are the most common. 
and and so you know in in dealing with this stuff uh, what what lessons are you learning i mean as a carrier um you know it's with regard to the how these claims are are managed how are customers you, you know how are they setting themselves up to to be a claim very good question so it it's imperative for um these companies to do ongoing um, training with their employees because um, it's something as simple as just, again, getting tricked into providing credentials to an unauthorized third party. So we are trying to encourage any and all pre-breach risk management training and then putting security systems in place, like I said, such as something like simple as um, two-factor authentication, these things we feel would make a huge difference. And you can't prevent all claims, but we think that you could avoid a good chunk of them. You're you're saying, okay, if we're a little more diligent in the pre-breach space, these uh, pre-breach pre-policy questionnaires aren't always the best indicator of how sound a customer's IT infrastructure is. Um, what what are what can you do or what can a customer do to improve um, responding to these questionnaires? That's a very good point. And we are finding that often the responses we're seeing in an application don't quite match up with the true situation. And a lot of times it's really due to the fact that the insureds just don't know their systems well enough. And so when they're putting down these responses, they're not necessarily correct. So this is a big change in our underwriting process where, um, again, that's where the risk management comes into play. Um, we feel that if our insureds team up with um, risk management firms or forensic firms to look at things and help them respond to these questions and have a plan in place, um, then they will be better able to provide more correct or detailed responses on the applications. So you're almost, so you're almost suggesting that, that there's almost the necessity for a third party to come in and say, you know what, you, you know, Mr. IT person, you're, you definitely have the spirit of what's going on here. But to get a really full picture or maybe just so that there's no ambiguity in the question, um, you're saying, hey, you know, get with a firm that can do a quick assessment. It it doesn't have to be an extraordinarily detailed assessment, right? It just needs to get the, 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 the concepts of, you know, and I'm assuming that you're looking for things like, okay, if they're doing these things, chances are risk is going to go down and to your point earlier two-factor authentication if a if a company has already gone through the trouble of implementing two-factor authentication chances are they're going to be a better customer and i'm using that term loosely um you know so i don't want to say that you don't have good customers that don't have two-factor but 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 the reality is that they're safer right i mean that that's really what you're looking for is just a certain set of behaviors um when you see this, um, you, you know, when you see customers who are doing the right things, 
they've got two factor authentication there. They have a security training program. Um, do you see a one-to-one relationship with respect to them being a claim down the road? I mean, is that kind of data be, are you, are you collecting and, and analyzing that kind of data? Have, have we, have we reached the point where we're looking backwards and saying they said they had two factor authentication? Yes. And this isn't, this isn't a claim. And these people, <laughs> maybe these people said they had two factor authentication, but didn't, or didn't have it on every machine, but they are a claim. I mean, are you starting to collect that? We are definitely starting to collect that. And that was something that we didn't necessarily look at when we were typically handling claims. But again, given the changing climate to have us learn more and assist our underwriting uh, department, we are now trying to match up, especially with these larger claims, trying to match up the application responses to the true facts of what exactly happened. So hmm. that's that's a good way to decipher how much of a difference it is or you know when we're getting you know how effective are these responses um and if you're noticing that oftentimes the responses do not correlate with what really happened that's that's been a big learning experience for us so because of what we're finding out we realize that certain underwriting methods would have to change. And that's where claims is basically coming in to assist underwriting with all these factors. Like, well, you know, they said they had this in place. They actually didn't. This is how the intrusion happened. And so when I say we're pivoting, this is a perfect example of how we're pivoting. And the, so this pivot's happening on both sides, right? Tamara just did a good job of of talking about, you know, from the claim side, what underwriting is banging down her door asking for in terms of data points. And when, when we get an uninsured uh, pre-breach client, we're going to go through the same exact process. We're going to say, it's time to start investing, guys. We need to talk about secure offsite backups. We need to talk about a reputable EDR solution if that's in your budget. Uh, and something that I think was probably, I think, the first thing Tamara said, uh, which is employee uh, training employees for phishing emails, right? Um, we can invest all the money and time we want. And Tamara can uh, and her team can underwrite it, um, but the 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 most common lapse, the most common vulnerability, is just going to be that well done uh, hats off phishing email that gets the employee to either enter credentials with some you know fake Office 365 login, or even something that's just going to drop malware right to the system, right? So this conversation about rising ransomware costs, I think we're kind of already hitting it right on the head, which is this has got to be done pre-breach. It's it's time to wake up and it's, it's time to start investing both for clients and for carriers. And that really leads me into the next question, which is, do you do either of you see pre-breach hardening as being a condition of writing a policy? Just based on certain conversations I've had with our underwriting team, yes. Now, I can't give you a sure answer because I don't underwrite, but yes, um, they're definitely looking into that um, because they are changing the way they're underwriting. So it's very likely. And not to, uh, you know, plug a different carrier here on, on Tamara, but th that's kind of what's exciting and what you're seeing with Coalition, right? This is a company that's taking in-house tools. Um, they're, they're evaluating the network security, existing network security and vulnerability assessment of the people that they're going to write for. 
um, and then they're underwriting accordingly, right? I think that's where that's where it's going to end up going. Um, how how much money off your premium are, are you going to get uh, for showing that you don't have any uh, vulnerable outward facing RDPs? What does MFA mean? What does a minimum character on, on a password mean? Um, these are all things that uh, to varying degrees will impact premiums uh, when we're talking about insurance, uh, but also impact just what kind of world of hurt you're going to be um, when uh, and not it's, it's, it's when it's not if um, you, you end up being uh, at the end of, uh, of, of the scope. At some point, carriers are going to eventually agree to agree with one another that there are going to be certain conditions. Now, you and I talked a little bit about this um you know offline about about that very point you know it's tough to be competitive in a market where you don't want to limit your customers from being a customer but you don't want to you don't want as a carrier you don't want to sign up for this huge risky mess that's going to end up costing you 50 times what premium you're going to collect very good point. Exactly. And I mean, we already provide a lot of tools to our insureds. Um, for example, um, we provide free of charge tabletop exercises that they can use to train all their employees. Um, so we offer a lot of pre-breach risk management um, free of charge once they become our insured. And in addition, um, something we added to the policy was the post breach remediation um, coverage where once an insured has had a breach, um, they have a sublimit available to them to take on further training for their employees or have the forensic firms evaluate their systems, do some penetration testing, et cetera, to make sure the systems are safe. We don't see insureds taking us up on those too many too too often. I mean, including sometimes the the um, pre-breach risk management. But there are a lot of tools available out there and we're always trying to urge our insureds to take advantage of that. And isn't that interesting? Because I don't think customers really understand how painful these events can be. And that, you know, that, that kind of leads me into the next part here, which is, you know, insurance in many of these cases is staving off a devastating financial blow to the companies that are going through these at best. And in some cases, um, insurance coverage is keeping them from folding altogether uh, and closing their doors permanently. Um, so how sustainable is this model and how do you rudder an industry that has, that is historically very slow <laughs> to respond to change? Um, and, and, you know, Michael, I'm going to throw that your way first. It is... It could be a death sentence, right? And and we've seen it across different industries. We've seen it across different types of insurance claims through the years. This is just another one where it's it, it's time to wake up. And uh, IT security, network security is not sexy. We'd rather put that money somewhere else, right? We'd rather think about an acquisition. We'd rather think about expansion. Um, too many times, uh, I, I not not the majority by any means, but but too many times. One is enough where I'm on the phone with the uh, IT professional, uh, and 
and, and I'm driving that conversation that that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Um, especially for, you know, we're still talking about small to mid-sized businesses, but that that goes for publicly traded companies. That goes, that goes uh, for companies that have the funds available but have not invested. Uh, and you talk about just how devastating this can be and how the insurance carriers um, really are uh, picking up the tab and helping out these clients beyond whatever the adverse impact on their loss run is going to be, right? These are, if we're talking about, you know, just horror stories, uh, it's going to be industry specific a little bit. I mean, let's just take two examples. Um, we saw the, the, the threat that did not actually come to fruition uh, from Ryuk uh, with the healthcare industry uh, a couple weeks ago. If, if you're a healthcare and if, if you're a HIPAA covered entity, uh, and you don't have secure backups, which is a, a theme, right? It's secure backups, number one thing for avoiding having to, to pay out uh, a mid to high six-figure or seven-figure ransom payment. Uh, if, if you don't have your data, there are a myriad of, uh, of, of adverse financial blows coming your way. You've got a Medicare audit, Medicaid audits that you have to uh, comply with. Otherwise, you're going to be assessed penalties. You've got ongoing patient care. Right. We talk about maintaining paper records for three days out just in case this happens um, quickly. Another industry is the construction industry. Um, this is a high capital, uh, quick moving industry. They've got liquidated damages clauses in their contracts. They've got union CBAs. They've got pay when paid clauses. There is a world of hurt coming your way if you don't have those secure backups. Um, and th this kind of gets into uh, a little bit of how this this conversation um, kind of kicked off, which is who's driving who. Um, the, the, right. the insurance carrier is the one in the room who knows the horrors. They're the ones that have been paying out on this horror for the last, you know, if, if we're just talking about the percentage uptick in 2020, if we're talking about what's been coming for the last two years, they know the horror stories. The clients don't, don't necessarily know the horror stories. So when we're talking about who's driving who, I, you know, I, I think it's a good thing that we're, that we're getting to uh, more scrutinized underwriting for these risks, because if your broker is the one that tells the client, hey, you know, you should really invest in this, by all means. I mean, we need that. We, we need our insurance brokers. We need the industry as a whole um, to start speaking up on this. Uh, it's going to help out all of us. And most importantly, it's, you know, from a moral perspective, it's going to stop. Uh, it's going to stop these ransom payments, or at least uh, slow, slow the bleeding. I want to, you know, I want to keep diving into this the, to the customers' involvement here a little bit because what I also r realize in dealing with these cases is there are legal ramifications when data is lost, when your, you know, when there's data exfiltration. Now, um, you know, Michael, this is again likely something that you have to deal with after the incident response is over that final report of what was the attack vector and was there data exfiltration and a lot of times you know especially sitting in my seat that may be the last i hear from that customer and, and from the breach coach on that particular case but you have to work with them when there's like a notification event uh, it's not just ransomware anymore it's ransomware and in some cases they're pulling data and they're they're threatening to post it um, where, where, where does that take a customer? That's a very good question. And the word that I'm going to preach is, um, is perspective, 
because let's let, let's take a look at this right the and and you you'll when I was talking earlier about industry specific um, death sentences you'll notice that the conversation was centered around if you don't have offsite backups right so if so let's take ourselves out of that fact pattern and let's have a company that has has they, they shelled out for the data backups and they're good to go yeah maybe they lost a week and maybe it's going to take a while um, to image for the investigation and deploy EDR and then and then get back to work uh, and and remediate those workstations. Um, but if we if we've got the data, then what do you the this is the what I like to call the what are you really paying for conversation when it comes to exfil of data and then threatened leak? Because in a post maze world, um, uh, happy happy to see them go. Uh, but in post maze world, that, that's kind of what everybody's doing now. I mean, Sodi Sodnikibi has been doing it. We've got Egregor coming in. Um, th- th- there are several high-profile threat actors who are now relying on this to uh, force a ransom payment when you've got secure backups. We've got your data. We're going to post it. And there's going to be several reputational and, and third-party claims exposure issues that arise out of that. At least that's the tagline. But let's look at that a little closer. You did a good job of noting PHI and PII. And I, and I want to separate those things because when we're talking about third-party claim exposure, that you have to separate those things. Let's not touch PCI. Let's not touch the credit cards, Home Depot. Okay, let's right. let's leave that uh, off the table. When we're talking about PHI, the conversation is much scarier. Okay, you've got the anthem. You've got anthem out there. Everybody knows about it. Um, AIG uh, getting hit big on that one. Sixteen million, I think, was the settlement just with Department of Health and Human Services, not even with with the patients. Uh, the reported number of settlement, I think, is 115 million total. Uh, which, by the way, Indiana Department of Insurance, which was the state uh, regulator who investigated, invested it, said something along the lines of, "Yeah, they had network security deficiencies, but these deficiencies were not uncommon, and they still got hit with that uh, settlement." Um, right. So, PHI, you got, you've got, you've got something to worry about there. A lot less so with PII. I really like to break this down for clients and say the exposure, all things considered, again, perspective, not that high. You see the Sony breach and everybody starts to get scared about employees uh, suing class action against their employer. But that was, a, I mean, that was Lazarus. That was a targeted um, incident that included, for example, you know, posting the, the network infrastructure of Sony. Okay, so so they did they they worked as hard as they could, Lazarus, to get to get Sony, and they yeah eight million I think uh, to employees. But once you get beyond that case, there's not a lot of PII, and let's just talk about employees um, W two information that's going to cause that much exposure. You're not going to see that many cases get into uh, s- settlements or verdicts get into seven figures. There's a lot of reasons for that. One is uh, the circuit split right now with regard to the injury in fact uh, threshold for Article Three standing. Um, hats off to the Eleventh Circuit for sticking with us East Coast courts and saying that you need to prove uh, concrete injury. Uh, but there are a lot of other reasons. Uh, you know, only about eight percent, and and somebody you know at at a at a credit monitoring firm uh, would have this information better than me. But about around eight percent of employees are going to opt into credit monitoring. You're not increasing a lot of actual damages on that, and there's uh, a lot, employees don't want don't really want to sue their employer, uh, generally speaking. Right. 
So the expo that's a long way to say that the exposure for PII leaking um, is not really too high. And, and, and for um, um, uh, when, you're commu- when you're actually negotiating with a threat actor, if you want to take that route to at least see what, what the offer is and control the lines of communication for a bit, once you've got secure backups and you're up and running, as long as you don't have the Coca-Cola formula, right? As long as you don't have this thing that's going to cause commercial litigation outside of data privacy concerns, the exposure is relatively low. Tamara, I, I, you know, I, I'm curious, do you, um, in your, in your claims experience, do you see, um, ransomware data exfil, lack of backups. I mean, these are all things like when, when you get a claim, um, what makes you just kind of hold your breath and hope that that there's going to be a positive outcome to these cases? Is it very good question? Um, I mean, I, I have to say just piggybacking on what Michael kind of just walked us through paying the ransom on these claims is probably the simplest part because I think as insureds are experiencing these claims, they're seeing that literally you're probably going to go through four or five coverages in the policy. There are so many moving parts That's why we're calling them. Not only are they really large, but they're so complex because depending on, I mean, we're always holding our breath and especially depending on the type of business it is, if it's medical, a hospital, you know, a a lot more dangerous, but even, even with PII, you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork and sue. I mean, these class action lawsuits have been so expensive and unfortunately we see them a lot on even matters involving PII when it's basically an outward facing um, insured where they would have clients that were affected, typically PCI matters or whatnot. I mean, settling these class action lawsuits is very expensive. And so Mm -hmm. what starts from a ransomware situation could turn into so many different things that we're typically always holding our breath. Yeah. And, and that, (laughs) it is going to lead me to the last, the last, uh, uh, question that I have. Do you see sweeping reform in how carriers are going to provide this coverage? I mean, like what kind of changes to this sort of coverage are likely and, uh, and what could that mean to a business as a whole as, as we move forward? I mean, down the road, I definitely see some changes, um, maybe some sort of sublimiting on some of these ransomware um, losses. Um, I'm also expecting perhaps some legal changes. Um, and should that happen and the ransomware matters continue, that is going to harm the businesses. But then perhaps if these threat actors are not paid as much or as often, perhaps the whole thing may slowly dissipate. And my, uh, you know, whenever we get into the conversation about reform and and, and what's coming down the pipe, I mean, it's it's kind of topical, right? Because we've got that string of guidances in early October from, you know, the DOJ enforcement framework, then the the Treasury and FinCEN. I mean, my, my perspective from working with the clients and, and, and my clients being these victim companies is, is this is a dead sentence and, and you've got, you've got to let us respond. 
um, the, the carriers are taking the brunt of it, and, and that's a, that's a separate issue. Whether or not you switch to reimbursement-based policies, whether like like Tamara said, maybe there's a sublimit uh, just on ransom payments, or, or maybe there's not. Uh, but this is a conversation that needs to happen, and there's a, there's a lot of smart people uh, in different rooms working on this. And, and I am confident and hopeful that we're going to get to a spot where we're able to handle, yeah, the, the nexus to sanctioned entities. We're able to handle that conversation, but we're also going to keep uh, SMBs, uh, small to mid-sized businesses. We're also going to keep, and, and this is the, the way we frame it, and our argument from our side of the table, the mom and pop shops uh, who don't have those backups. We're going to keep them where they've put in their elbow grease. They brought this company up. Um, they've got a lot riding uh, on, on this, uh, as do their employees for livelihood. We're going to keep them with an option uh, the be as best we can. We're going to keep advocating for them uh, and, and saying that if you get hit, which, mo which most companies uh, will at some point in time, uh, you, have, you have an out. It's not a death sentence. Thanks to both of you for covering this topic with me today. I, I, it's, I could probably go on for another hour just because I think that there's just a lot to there's so much to cover with regard to not only the risks associated for being a carrier in this marketplace today. Uh, and we could probably spend another hour on, you know, things to look at and how to reform, you know, this industry and, and help protect uh, carriers from just being an ATM machine uh, to these threat actors. So thank you both. Thanks so much, Kevin. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin and, and Arate for having me. Tamara, always nice speaking with you. Uh, and, 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 and most importantly, uh, sending out healthy wishes to, to both of you and your families and anybody listening as we move into the holiday season. And that does it for this episode with Tamara and Michael. Thank you both for your insight and knowledge on this most important issue regarding the insurance carrier's role in the battle against ransomware. I'd like to thank Colin Hanks and Severine Fortin for their tireless efforts in supporting this podcast. And most definitely you, our listeners, for sharing your time with us today. As always, stay smart, stay safe, and join us again soon for another episode of Security Superpowers.